Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Senator Bill Cassidy says the clock's ticking on shoring up Social Security. He wants action from President Biden. Meanwhile, Republicans want to make sure no Silicon Valley bank assistance goes to any CCP-related companies. A government agency is seeking information on the possible dangers of gas stoves. The agency's commissioner previously said there's an urgent need for more regulation on the appliances. A watchdog group wants to challenge a recent executive order issued by President Biden. The group says it's enabling a woke army. Mexico's President Lopez Obrador wants to cool down talk that Mexico is the culprit when it comes to fentanyl. He says more of the deadly drug enters the U.S. from other places. The parent company of the failed Silicon Valley Bank is seeking Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. SVB Financial Group's filing is no surprise in light of its subsidiaries collapse. Its venture capital and broker-dealer businesses are still operational and are not part of the filing. SVB Capital and SVB Securities are still prized assets, according to the company's chief restructuring officer. Overall, SVB Financial Group says it has $3.3 billion in unsecured debt that could be wiped out in bankruptcy. The proceedings could eliminate even more money in stock, and trading of its shares stopped on Thursday. Senator Bill Cassidy accused President Biden yesterday of dodging meetings on the endangered Social Security program. Meanwhile, this question of whether CCP-affiliated companies will benefit from any of the measures taken to protect Silicon Valley Bank. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the report. Senator Bill Cassidy zeroed in on the ailing retirement program and the apparent lack of information on it in the president's 2024 budget proposal. Is he aware that under current law, when the program goes broke in nine years, that there will be a 24% benefit cut for those who are current recipients? Is he aware of that? Of the $4.5 trillion in taxes he has proposed, not a dime is going to shore up Social Security. Does the president know personally anybody who is dependent upon Social Security? The president knows many people on Social Security. Then why doesn't the president care? He cares very deeply. Then where is his plan? He stands ready to work with Congress. That's a lie. According to Cassidy, a bipartisan group of senators has made multiple requests to meet with the president about Social Security, but has received no reply. Cassidy then brought up a proposal of Biden's to increase tax on the 2% that earn over $400,000 a year to pay for the projected Social Security shortfall. He asked Yellen how high those rates would have to be to be sufficient. I can't tell you that, but I do know that he's put on the table many proposals that would raise very substantial revenues. At the hearing, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse called Yellen the most available of cabinet members. But I appreciate it. You seem quite fearless about coming into the lion's den, and we're always grateful to have you. Meanwhile, Yellen also addressed the government's extraordinary measures to shield insured and uninsured depositors from losses at Silicon Valley Bank. Many Chinese funds and startups, including companies with ties to the Chinese Communist Party, reportedly had funds there. Senator James Lankford on those measures. Will my banks in Oklahoma pay a special assessment to be able to make Chinese investors whole from Silicon Valley Bank? Yellen responded that uninsured depositors would be made whole at the bank. And I suppose that could include foreign, in, foreign depositors. 
Yellen says she doesn't know of any legal basis to discriminate among the uninsured. Other Republicans have expressed concern about handing payouts to Chinese investors and companies. Senator Marco Rubio has requested that the U.S. government work to ensure that hostile foreign adversaries don't benefit from the bank's collapse. It is estimated that the bank had around $14 billion in uninsured or uncovered foreign deposits. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The U.S. Treasury Secretary testified before the Senate Finance Committee on Thursday. She said the U.S. banking system is sound despite concerns over the failure of two banks. She also addressed the plan to set a minimum income tax of 25% on Americans with wealth exceeding over $100 million. How would President Biden's budget plan and the one by Republicans affect the competitiveness of U.S. companies and debt held by China? I wanted to learn more about this, so I spoke with the principal of Core Analytics, a risk management firm specializing in international conflict. Joining us to discuss is Anders Core publisher of Journal of Political Risk. It's great to have you on the show today, Anders. Thank you. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said under the GOP debt limit plan, China, which holds about $1 trillion in U.S. debt, would be among the first to be paid. That's before Social Security goes to seniors and VA benefits to veterans. What's your reaction to this? Well, there's an easy fix to that, which is not to pay China. We can uh, basically claim that it's a sanction on uh, China's support for Putin's war in Ukraine. Uh, we just don't pay those those Chinese bills. And what would be the repercussions of that? Well, I mean, China would complain, but I think because it was a targeted uh, default only on Chinese uh, debt, that uh, we, we should come out of it fine because all the other uh, treasury holders uh, would be safe, basically, as long as they're not supporting Putin's war as well. And Wall Street also would be one of the first to be paid. What do you make of this? Well, I, I wouldn't take a strong position on that. I think that um, you know what the Republicans are doing here is they're trying to uh, insert some fiscal responsibility into the budget process, uh, which right now is is totally lacking. Um, so, I, in in general, I support their idea of. Uh, you know, paying back some of the of the Treasury bills and the, that we have and not others. Anders, Republicans argue that President Biden's budget plan would offer major giveaways to China. That's because the global minimum tax would hit the biggest U.S. corporations overseas with at least a 15 percent rate while causing China's state-owned enterprises to pay nothing. What's your reaction to this? Well, the global minimum tax, as negotiated by the Biden administration, is going to advantage Chinese companies. Um, there are loopholes that China's companies can squeak through. For example, it doesn't apply to any companies that have fewer than six, uh, you know, that are operating in fewer than six con countries. So that would be a major loophole that China can squeeze through. And then, of course, it's China's state-owned enterprises aren't affected, so um, they can run rampant globally and outcompete our biggest corporations, which are going to be hit by uh, a 15% minimum tax. Um, more, uh, as far as more likely from the Biden administration, they're going to even up that to 21%. So uh, what the Biden administration is doing, our, our company's operations abroad is, is really completely irresponsible um, and will lead us, American companies, uh, to be outcompeted by Chinese companies. 
And what are the pros and cons of this global minimum tax more broadly? Well, I, I don't, I, I don't really see the major pros. That what they're saying is that uh, it will decrease a race to the bottom. So basically, it allows countries to tax corporations at higher rates. Um, those corporations then can't run off to other countries like Ireland um, and uh, as a tax haven. Um, you know, so what you're going to get with this is you're going to get. Uh, a, a decreasing space for private enterprise on a global level. Um, you're going to get higher taxes globally on corporations. Those taxes can then be used for public goods, you know, for government government expenditures. Um, so, but that may not be a good thing if it decreases the space for private enterprise. Anders Kor, publisher of the journal Political Risk. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Fluoride can reduce your intelligence. That's what an allegedly suppressed government report has concluded. A National Toxicology Program report reviewing fluoride neurotoxicity was finally made public on Wednesday. The report included a meta-analysis of 55 studies. 52 of them found lower IQs with higher fluoride exposures. The analysis could not detect any safe exposure, including at levels common from drinking artificially fluoridated water. The release comes as part of an agreement reached in an ongoing lawsuit by the Fluoride Action Network against the EPA. Internal CDC emails indicate that Department of Health Secretary Rachel Levine and others intervened to stop the release of the study in May of 2022. Recent executive order from President Biden is under investigation. The Foundation for Government Accountability calls the order an unprecedented scheme they believe violates the democratic process. The watchdog group said a, quote, woke army is being assembled inside the federal government. They specifically refer to the executive order titled Further Advancing Racial Equity and Support for Underserved Communities Through the Federal Government. Biden signed it in February. The group asserted that it was, quote, designed to circumvent the normal democratic process and instead force an ideology onto Americans. The investigation is expected to include requesting documents from the 23 agencies addressed in the executive order. The Supreme Court may soon decide whether to take up a long-running dispute between former President Trump and congressional Democrats. It's over Trump's former hotel. The justices are scheduled to discuss privately whether or not to hear the case. If the case is heard, going forward, the minority party in Congress would gain a great deal more power to investigate a president's administration. The case goes back to 2017, when Trump had just become president. At that time, Democrats and the House Oversight Committee demanded the Trump administration hand over records on how Trump acquired the rights to develop his luxury Washington hotel. Trump critics have alleged that the deal allowed various organizations to curry favor with the administration, but the Trump organization said the leasing process was conducted fairly. The Trump organization has since sold the lease to the property. In the case at hand, the Biden administration has sided with the former President Trump's administration in defense of presidential authority. Over 25 pounds of cocaine and a gun were found after a group of 16 migrants jumped off a boat into the ocean. They were apparently stowaways aboard a cargo ship headed to Puerto Rico. During a search, authorities found a canvas bag containing 10 bricks of cocaine and a firearm. The drugs were valued at over $260,000. 
U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported the arrest of 18 migrants from the Dominican Republic. That includes two women who were arrested on the boat. The cargo ship departed from Florida, but officials suspect they might have snuck on board near the Dominican Republic. This after abandoning a small boat in the area. Homeland Security is investigating the incident. President Lopez Obrador of Mexico is pushing back at criticism of his record on fentanyl. He says more fentanyl enters the U.S. and Canada directly than through the southern border. Here's the Mexican president. Ah, no, see? Yes, the raw material is worked with here. Mexico is not the country that introduces the most fentanyl into the United States. I maintain that more fentanyl reaches the United States and Canada directly than reaches Mexico. Fentanyl has been blamed for fueling a surge in U.S. drug overdoses, and some Republican lawmakers have urged Washington to authorize the use of military force in Mexico. This would be to shut down the country's drug cartels. The DEA recently testified that two Mexican cartels were responsible for the vast majority of fentanyl that is coming into the United States. The FBI is seeking information about a missing U.S. citizen kidnapped in Mexico. The reward is up to $20,000. That's according to a release from the Bureau's Los Angeles field office. 63-year-old Maria del Carmen Lopez was taken from her home in Mexico on February 9th. Her son and daughter tell KCAL News that a cousin witnessed the kidnapping. The cousin reportedly saw several men force Lopez into a van after an exchange of words. So far, no arrests have been made. Mexican authorities are working with the FBI to find out what happened. Lopez is approximately 5 feet 2 inches tall with blonde hair and permanent eyeliner that is tattooed on. And still to come, floodwaters wash through rural California. Parts of several counties are under evacuation and more rain is likely. We'll have that and more just after this break. The U.S. could be moving toward a ban on gas stoves. An independent government agency made an official request for information on the stove's health hazards. The Consumer Product Safety Commission, or CPSC, has made a formal request for information about the possible health hazards of gas-powered stoves. This signals that the United States may be moving toward a ban on gas stoves. However, the agency's request reads... This request for information does not constitute or propose regulatory action, but rather is intended to inform the commission and the public. The CPSC is an independent government agency. The agency's request comes just two months after its commissioner suggested that a gas stove ban could be likely to happen soon. Many Republican lawmakers didn't like the idea. Some sent a letter to the CPSC writing, gas stoves tend to result in lower utility bills than their electric counterparts. Gas stoves are also generally more durable, with less parts being susceptible to breakages or other defects. A ban on these stoves would therefore likely result in higher utility bills, disproportionately affecting low-income populations. The Biden administration previously said the CPSC wouldn't ban the appliances. The president does not support uh, banning gas stoves and the Consumer Product Safety Commission, which is independent, uh, is not banning gas stoves. I just want to be very clear on that, on that. However, Fox News later published this memo in which the CPSC commissioner writes, the need for gas stove regulation has reached a boiling point. CPSC has the responsibility to ban consumer products that emit hazardous substances, particularly when those emissions harm children. 
However, other agency members later walked the comments back, saying no ban is being planned. The CPSC isn't the only Biden administration agency that has its sights on gas stoves. In February, the Department of Energy proposed a rule that could outlaw a sizable percentage of gas stoves. The city of Berkeley in California has already banned gas stoves. Other cities, such as New York, have also talked about the idea. An update on last month's toxic chemical train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. An Environmental Protection Agency administrator said the cleanup will take at least another three months. And that's barring bad weather or any changes to the site condition. As of Thursday, about half of the contaminated soil from under the track had been excavated. Nearly 7 million gallons of liquid and more than 5,400 tons of solid waste was taken from the site for disposal. The administrator said he believes Norfolk Southern could be working faster. He reminded the company and state environmental regulators across the country that they have legal obligations to remove the waste. Residents in several California counties have evacuated as floods wreak havoc across much of the state. Many weren't able to salvage their belongings in time. It's the latest disaster stemming from a string of winter storms that hit California. Entity's Cost M&S has more. Residents of the small rural town of Porterville waded through needy water to enter their homes and collect what belongings they could. Water levels are quickly rising at Lake Success. The raging waters have driven piles of trash and debris down the river's path. Essentially what you see here is staff is staged up with the high flows at the bridge deck, maintaining any debris that collects and removing it, uh, preventing the water to back up into the channel. Ralph McLaughlin and his family have lived in Portable for over 35 years. People are in shock more than anything else, and it's just uh, uh, they're scared to death. I mean, you know, about a lot of them's lost property. I mean, a lot of them's lost uh, vehicles and stuff. He has decided to weather the storm, but is still worried about his belongings. When it floods and goes into buildings like that, you know what can happen. <sighs> Nothing good happens. Many others have not been as fortunate. I've lost my whole livelihood here. My 86-year-old father lives there and he's lost everything, everything. And what we've been out, I'm 57, and I've been out here since I was seven. So we've been out here 50 years. And um, my father and I have lost everything. No warning, no nothing. The fast-moving flood water destroyed everything in its path within 15 minutes and left no time to evacuate or remove belongings and animals. We're shocked that all this happened as quick as it did. So now we're all, you know, we don't know what we're going to do. All of us, you know, there's several tenants that live on this property. So I'm just going in now because they said the water wasn't clean to go through. So I'm going in to feed my animals and see what I can see what's going on in my house. Drone footage shows crop fields inundated by brown water in Pajaro. California has experienced a dramatic change in weather. For the past several years, the state has been mostly plagued by drought, heat and wildfires. According to the National Weather Service, it's likely more heavy rainfall will hit parts of the state next week. Cost MNS, NTD News. More from California. Union leaders in the nation's second largest school district are planning a three-day strike next week, canceling classes for about 430,000 students. The strike is set to begin next Tuesday and involve two unions, one representing 30,000 non-teaching staff and another representing 35,000 teachers. 
The first has been negotiating a new contract with the district since April 2022 and said the strike was necessary because it had reached an impasse. The school district has stated it made a historic offer and is open to more negotiations and adds that it's surprising and disappointing the union chose to strike. The last time Los Angeles public schools were disrupted by a strike was for six days in 2019. Pfizer is recalling more than 4 million packages of a prescription migraine medication. The company says the packaging for Neurotech ODT is not child resistant. The recall is voluntary. Pfizer says people don't need to throw away or return the medicine, but instead keep it out of reach of children. Customers are also urged to call to get a free child resistant pouch. The company says there have been no injuries or incidents related to the recall. It also says there are no quality issues or health risks for patients using the drug as prescribed. Pfizer is now developing new child-proof packaging. You can find more information about the recall at Pfizer.com. Say goodbye to those obnoxious spam text messages. Hopefully, the Federal Communications Commission is cracking down on spammy texts with new rules for telecom companies. The FCC says it's seen a surge of customer complaints in recent years tied to unwanted robo-texts. New rules adopted Thursday require phone providers to block text messages from suspicious sources, including phone numbers that appear to be invalid, unallocated, or unused. Carriers will also have to block texts coming from numbers that claim not to ever send text messages or that the government has identified as numbers not used for texting. The move mirrors a similar effort to shut down illegal robocalls in the U.S., which has led to at least one phone provider being cut off entirely from the U.S. telephone network. In addition, the FCC is considering additional regulations that could, among other things, apply do-not-call registry protections to text messages for the first time. An Ohio man was sentenced to 20 years in prison Wednesday for posing as a Ghanaian prince to swindle victims. Evidence from the trial of Daryl Robert Harrison shows he conned at least 14 people out of more than $800,000. Prosecutors say they thought they were investing in African mining and trucking companies, but Harrison used their money for his own expenses. He's convicted of mail and wire fraud, witness tampering, and other charges. 20 years is the maximum sentence for his crimes. Harrison's stepfather also was involved. He pleaded guilty to one charge in December and is set to be sentenced later this month. And still to come, as a House investigation delves deeper, the Biden family's money ties to China are coming to light. That and more when we return with NTD News. Good to have you back with us. An investigation into the Biden family's money trail. More transparency could soon be coming for business transactions by President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and the president's brother, James Biden. After the House Oversight Committee subpoenaed Bank of America, the Treasury Department is allowing the committee to review suspicious activity reports. Entity's Tiffany Meyer has the in-depth report. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer subpoenaed Bank of America asking for 14 years' worth of financial records related to three of Hunter Biden's business associates. 
The committee is investigating the Biden family's business dealings with a now-bankrupt Chinese energy conglomerate. We have individuals who are working with our committee. Uh, in the last two weeks, we've met with either these individuals personally or with their attorneys. Uh, and th that would be four individuals who had uh, uh, ties in with the Biden family on their various schemes around the world. The investigation comes amid the Biden administration's early-year promises to take a harsher stance on China through a series of new policies aimed at limiting China's influence. Critics call it a potential conflict of interest. In a nationwide survey conducted by the Trafalgar Group in late February, an average of 57.2 percent of respondents answered yes when asked if President Biden faces a conflict of interest in taking a tougher stance on China. As for who in the Biden family benefited from these deals, a new memo just released by Chairman Comer gives more details. According to the subpoenaed bank reports released by Republicans, at least three family members received payments, Haley Biden, James Biden and Hunter Biden. That's along with a fourth bank account just titled Biden. An associate of Hunter Biden, John Robinson Walker, helped transfer $3 million over from a Chinese state-run company, Energy HK Limited, which is affiliated with CEFC China Energy. The memo notes from 2015 through 2017, Biden family members and their companies received over $1.3 million in payments from accounts related to Rob Walker. In the memo, Comer questions why Haley Biden, who's publicly reported to work as a school counselor, received money from Robinson Walker. The White House has repeatedly denied that President Biden has knowledge of these family business dealings. We reached out to the White House but did not receive a response by airtime. Now, let's look into what exactly Hunter Biden is being accused of. Back before the 2020 presidential election, Hunter Biden's business dealings caught the public's attention. The New York Post first reported on Hunter Biden's overseas activities in China and Ukraine. One of his former associates, Tony Bobulinski, came forward about an alleged business venture between him, Hunter Biden, the president's brother Jim Biden, and CEFC China Energy. The Chinese conglomerate has deep ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Bobulinski strongly suggested that the firm engaged Hunter to gain access to his father, Joe Biden, then vice president. A Senate report from 2020 shows that Hunter Biden is the co-owner of a company named Hudson West 3. According to the report, CEFC China Energy wired $5 million to Hudson West in 2017. Not long after, Hudson West sent multiple payments to Hunter Biden's law firm Owasco. Labeled as consulting fees, the payments totaled about $4.8 million. Around the same time, Hudson West moved over $1 million to Hunter's uncle, James Biden's consulting firm. The Senate report identifies the transaction as potential financial criminal activity. And in September 2017, Chinese businessman Dong Guangwen opened a bank account together with Hunter Biden. Hunter, James and Sarah Biden were all authorized users of credit cards associated with the account. They later used the cards to purchase over $100,000 worth of luxury items. The Chinese businessman is also a co-owner of Hudson West and at the same time, an associate of the chairman of CEFC China Energy. A previous media report shows that in 2017, Hunter Biden helped negotiate a deal for CEFC to invest $40 million in a Louisiana-based natural gas project. 
The project reportedly fell through the following year. According to the Senate report, Hunter Biden had also agreed to represent another associate of the CEFC chairman's, Patrick Ho, in his corruption trial. Ho was sentenced to three years in a New York federal court for bribing top African officials to help CEFC get local oil businesses. U.S. prosecutors had also accused him of trying to sell weapons to Middle East countries and of helping Iran obtain funds from Chinese banks. According to a New York Times report, when American authorities arrested Patrick Ho, the first phone call he made was to James Biden. And now, a background check on CEFC China Energy. It had been one of China's largest conglomerates before its bankruptcy in 2020, under a Beijing clampdown on domestic companies. The giant did global business in oil and offered financial services, and made the Fortune Global 500 list at the time. Its chairman, Ye Jiangming, was once touted as the Chinese Rockefeller. CEFC China Energy was private in name, but hired numerous high-ranking former officials from the Chinese military and Hong Kong as executives. CEFC Chairman Ye fell out of favor with Chinese authorities in 2018. He was charged with embezzlement, and the company shut down two years later. He since disappeared from the public eye. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, Ukrainian volunteers treat patients in a makeshift ambulance made from a converted bus. They're part of a wider network of evacuation teams in Ukraine. And Russians who fled to the nearby country of Georgia are struggling to be accepted. Many are viewed with suspicion. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Just in, an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin. That's the decision just made by the judges of the International Criminal Court, marking the first in its investigation into the Ukrainian conflict. The Hague-based court accused Putin of being responsible for war crimes committed in Ukraine. According to the ICC, the arrest is based on Putin's suspected illegal deportation of children and illegal transfer of people from Ukrainian territory to the Russian Federation. There was no immediate comment by Russia. However, Moscow has repeatedly denied accusations of atrocities. In a highly anticipated visit, Chinese leader Xi Jinping plans to travel to Moscow for talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Both sides confirm the trip will begin Monday. This is Xi's first visit to Russia since war started in Ukraine. The Kremlin said important documents will be signed with the meeting, but it didn't go into any details. Unconfirmed reports say Xi may hold a conference call with Ukraine's president after the trip. China has proposed a 12-point peace plan for a ceasefire, calling for a dialogue and the end of Western sanctions against Russia. But so far, the proposal has received a lukewarm reception. Western countries condemned it for ignoring Russia's violation of Ukraine's sovereignty. Again, this is something that we're keeping a very close eye on. Uh, Interestingly, in China's so-called peace plan, one of the things that they highlight at the very top is respect for the sovereignty of all countries. Uh, We certainly would hope that they mean that. uh, But if that means that uh, Ukraine is supposed to somehow just give up uh, and allow its territory to be subsumed by uh, Russian occupiers, uh, then that certainly is duplicitous. Uh, and something that I don't think Ukraine nor the rest of the world would take seriously. 
China is a big buyer of Ukrainian grain, but since the war, it has grown closer to Russia, both in trade and diplomacy. The West is concerned that China could ship lethal arms to Russia, though Beijing denies having such plans and insists on its so-called objective position. As China and Russian relations ramp up, Iran is also strengthening ties. The three nations conducted joint naval exercises in the strategically important Gulf of Oman. It was part of five days of drills designed to deepen naval cooperation. The drills began March 15th and are set to last until the 19th. The Chinese Defense Ministry said as part of the 2023 edition of the Maritime Security Belt. Russia's Defense Ministry said the exercises began in the vicinity of the Iranian port of Chabahar. The Chinese destroyer Naning and Russian frigate Admiral Gorshkov were seen in the Gulf of Oman on Thursday, along with other vessels. Russia's defense ministry said earlier that the active phase of the exercises would be on Wednesday and Thursday, involving various joint maneuvers, including daytime and nighttime artillery firing. Tens of thousands of soldiers have been killed or wounded on both sides of the war in Ukraine. Volunteers in Ukraine have converted a bus into a makeshift ambulance and expect to be busy as spring approaches. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on the operation. Six medics move up and down the narrow aisle of this bus. Two rows of three hospital beds run the length of the vehicle. This bus is part of Ukraine's Hospitaler's Medical Battalion that evacuates troops across Ukraine. In this bus, we have all the equipment necessary to sustain our patients' health. We make sure that they don't feel pain and that their indicators are okay. We take care of their comfort and make sure they're feeling well in this bus. Paramedic Andrei Voloshin said it took half a year to get the bus ready. It has now been shuttling injured soldiers for about two months. Uh, those ones who is lying, they are uh, um, connected to all uh, medical equipment that uh, helps us to um, monitor their vital signs. A previous bus was damaged in a crash, so this one was built to replace it. We had our bus cracking and it was destroyed in the, this summer and uh, uh, right after that uh, we started to work with that new project. One side of the bus is covered with a giant painting of a woman's face surrounded by sunflowers. On the other side are the words, for every life. The initiative involves teams of volunteers rotating and they spend several weeks on call. We're planning to buy new buses, we're planning to um, uh, manage that work so and create system, system of, that will help our uh, military medical service. The ambulance bus project is part of a wider network of evacuation teams in Ukraine. The systems link soldiers in the trenches to small teams in rear positions, then to field hospitals, and eventually to large centers if injuries are extensive. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Hundreds of thousands of Russians relocated to Georgia following Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the announcement of a partial mobilization. However, the new arrivals received a mixed reception in the country that was formerly part of the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. Over 110,000 Russians now live in Georgia, a country of less than 4 million people. After the Ukraine war broke out, the former Soviet Republic had become a popular destination for Russians who wanted to leave the country. 
Nikolai Kiriv, originally from Moscow, said he still remembers the day. I was with my little kid. Uh, he was three years old. I checked the news and I cried. Uh, so and. Uh, uh, that evening I decided, and it was very obvious, that we have to leave the country as soon as possible. He opened a bookshop and bar in the Georgian capital, Tbilisi, wanting to create a space where exiled Russians can meet and reflect. We study guilt and responsibility, topics of guilt and responsibility in the after-war uh, German philosophy. Uh, so it's... Um, very much like what we see now, so we read the texts, go through them, uh, so we try to understand and uh, to, to reflect and to talk about this. Gleb Kudnetsov, originally from St. Petersburg, opened a handicrafts shop in the capital. When we were on our way here, we didn't know whether we would stay here or move elsewhere. Our objective was just to get out of Russia, look around, and then make a decision. We've been here for almost a year now, so we fared well. He said that his shop had been targeted by a wave of negative Google reviews, complaining that it didn't have any Georgian-speaking staff. There are some radical people, or maybe not radical, but people who are just generally not very friendly towards foreigners, who are avoiding us. He tried to find a Georgian-speaking assistant, but no one replied to their ad. The locals have got very guarded about it. There were too many of us. I think in any country this would cause worry when so many foreigners arrive. So I think people here are still very reserved about working with foreigners. While the immigrants have helped make Georgia become one of the fastest-growing economies in the world, many locals view them with suspicion. Soaring housing costs in Tbilisi, powered by the Russian influx, only exacerbates things. Some Georgians say they wouldn't go to bars run by Russians. I want to support Georgian business, not Russian business, so therefore, no. Lots of Russians have opened bars. And you know our Georgian traditions say, when we go inside a place and drink, we express love and warmth. And you know, I cannot do so with Russians. They are not our friends. They are our enemies. It's a fact. I don't approve of the Russian businesses here, but not all Russians do bad things. And we shouldn't tar them all with the same brush. Georgian public opinion is overwhelmingly pro-Ukrainian, and anti-Russian graffiti is ubiquitous on the streets of Tbilisi. Opposition parties have called for a visa regime to limit the number of Russian arrivals. Russian tennis star Daniil Medvedev says he feels sorry for Ukrainian players competing on tennis tours amid turmoil in their country, and says he has always been for peace. I definitely do feel sorry for uh, for all the Ukrainian uh, players uh, and uh, what they go through. I always said the same, I'm for peace uh, all over the world, to be honest, and uh, that's, uh, that's all I can say. Ukraine's Lesia Serenko withdrew from her match with a Belarusian player at Indian Wells. She said it was due to a panic attack after talking with the Women's Tennis Association chief executive about tennis's response to Russia's invasion. The women's world number one player, who's from Poland, has called for more support for Ukrainian players as they compete during the ongoing crisis. 
The Association of Tennis Professionals said in a statement last year that they, quote, strongly condemn Russia's reprehensible invasion of Ukraine. And coming up, the French are grappling with soaring food prices and rampant inflation. One economist tells us the EU's agricultural policies and trade deals are to blame. Argentina's annual inflation surges past 100 percent. It's the first time inflation has hit triple digits in three decades. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. Chaos continues in France as the country makes changes to its pension plan. The government yesterday forcibly raised the retirement age without a vote. Here's the story. Violence and arson erupted on the streets of Paris as the French government forced through changes in the national pension plan. Clashes broke out Thursday evening between riot police and protesters. Several officers were injured. That's after French President Emmanuel Macron ordered his prime minister to wield a special constitutional power that skirts the National Assembly. It pushed through, without a vote, the highly unpopular bill that raised the retirement age from 62 to 64. We can't make any bets on the future of our pensions. This reform is necessary. Members of the National Assembly broke into the national anthem and delayed her speech. Heckling and disruption continued throughout the session. The pension changes passed the French Senate earlier on Thursday, but the Macron administration invoked the special power just minutes before a scheduled vote in the lower chamber, as they didn't believe enough lawmakers would vote in favor. The risky move is expected to trigger a quick no-confidence motion in Macron's government. If the motion gets approval from more than half the seats, the text is rejected and the government must resign. Lawmakers from both aisles condemned the pension changes. It's a question of preventing the expression of the will of the French people through their representatives. They did not manage to find a majority because they were bad. The authoritarianism he employs, they are using it to force through a pension reform that no one wants. The proposed pension changes have prompted major strikes and protests across the country since January. Macron argued the changes are needed to keep the pension system from diving into deficit as France, like many other nations, faces lower birth rates and longer life expectancy. In France, the government is grappling with soaring food prices and their impact on French consumers. One factor behind the rising prices is that France's domestic food production has been declining, a trend that's also taking place in other EU countries. Entities France correspondent David Vives spoke to an economist who blames the problem on EU agricultural policy and the bloc's free trade agreements. French economy minister Bruno Le Maire earlier this month reached a deal with large retail outlets to address rising food prices. They agreed to offer from Wednesday shoppers discounts on a selection of items for a three-month period. But despite the government's deal with the supermarket chains, prices are expected to keep going up in the coming weeks. In February, food inflation stood at an all-time high of 14%. Economist Philippe Murer says high food prices will impact broad swathes of society. As a result of the new negotiations, prices are going to rise by 10% at the major chains over the coming months. 
So we are going to end up with a 24% increase in food prices, which will cause considerable problems for the working classes, but also for the middle classes. So we really have a very serious problem that's being set up. A leading French food bank has warned that the number of people they served jumped by 22% in the first three months of winter, compared to last year. Amidst the different factors behind rising food costs, one seems particularly important, the decline of food sovereignty. In other words, the capacity of a country to feed its own population. In just 20 years, France has dropped from being the world's second largest food exporter to eighth place. At the same time, food imports to France have doubled, now making up, up about 50% of what ends up on French plates. Murer says this is a result of EU agricultural policies and trade agreements that have been implemented since the 2000s. This is also due to the fact that less and less food has been produced in France over the last seven years. It's also due to the destruction of French agriculture by the European Common Agricultural Policy, which is managed by Brussels, by globalization, free trade, and agricultural free trade agreements, which are being drawn up by Brussels. There are new free trade agreements with major agricultural powers, such as Australia and New Zealand, that are going to be put in place. According to a recent poll, almost 90% of French think France should stop trading with the rest of the world. Murer says other European countries have also lost their food sovereignty as a result of EU policies. To those who believe that I talk too much about the European Union, Vivian Redding, the former number two at the European Commission, came to the National Assembly in 2014 to say there are no more domestic policies. There are only shared European policies. And our elites hide this from us. There's no longer any French policy. There's practically only European policy. And this leads to these food problems. Yes, there's a risk. In contrast, in the UK, three quarters of what consumers eat is produced domestically. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Switzerland has bailed out Credit Suisse Bank. UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt says he welcomes the move, but an analyst says people should be prepared for more bad news. London's FTSE 100 index rebounded on Thursday after troubled Credit Suisse was thrown a lifeline. Though markets were seen stabilizing, a senior analyst said people should be prepared for more bad news. It's a bit like the game of whack-a-mole. As fast as you sort out one problem, another one pops up, it seems, in the global banking system. However, the banking system is not believed to be at systemic risk. The head of investment at Interactive Investor said the collapse of three U.S. banks and Credit Suisse's problems are a reminder to investors of the 2007-2008 financial crisis, despite banks being more capitalized now than they were 15 years ago. Over the next weeks, banks will really try to uh, reinforce um, the strength, their underlying strength, and provide confidence to the markets about their financial positions uh, so that we don't see a mass exodus in terms of clients, which can then spark contagion, not just within the sector, but across financial markets. Chancellor Jeremy Hunt on Thursday said it was encouraging Switzerland's central bank had offered liquidity to Credit Suisse. He said the government and the Bank of England 
were following the situation very closely. Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves said the UK should be very concerned. We know from what's happened in previous financial crises that what starts in one bank can quickly spread, which is why we need that coordination between Treasury and central banks around the world to ensure that that liquidity is there in financial markets uh, and to ensure particularly that small businesses and start-up businesses that have been particularly affected by this crisis so far are able to uh, access uh, funds at affordable rates. The European Central Bank on Thursday raised interest rates by 50 basis points, as promised to curb inflation, ignoring financial market chaos. That's despite calls by investors to dial back policy tightening, at least until sentiment stabilizes. The Bank of England is said to have been in emergency talks with its global central banking counterparts. Argentina's annual inflation rate soared past 100% in February. It's the first time inflation has hit triple digits since 1991. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the sky-high prices. Last month in Argentina, inflation surged by 102.5% compared to February 2022. The Consumer Price Index also reported a 6.6% monthly rise and a 13.1% year-to-date increase. I buy week by week because I can no longer make a large purchase. There are things that I have stopped buying because I say no. It is just impossible for it to increase like this. So I don't buy some things, I change habits or buy things on sale. Argentina's markets, businesses and households are feeling the pressure. For retiree Irene Davita, that means a lighter shopping bag and less food on the table. At a market on the outskirts of Buenos Aires, Davita looked through her groceries on Tuesday. With inflation so high, prices change almost weekly. The other day I came and asked for three tangerines, two oranges, two bananas, and half a kilo of tomatoes. When he told me it cost 650 pesos, I told him take everything out and leave just the tomatoes, because I don't have enough money. The government has failed to rein in the rising prices. Inflation has impacted people's earning power, savings, and the country's economic growth. Sky-high prices also threaten the ruling political party's grip on power when elections take place later this year. The truth is that I live day to day. I look for low prices, I go to markets, we look for where the meat is cheaper, the vegetables are cheaper, and hunt for online promotion to get by. On the street, inflation is all many people can talk about. Patricia Quiroga said 100% inflation was impossible to bear as she waited in line to do her shopping. I heard that inflation will reach 100% a year, and you can't live like that. Let all the politicians go. I am tired, tired just tired of all this, of the politicians who fight while the people die of hunger. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Just ahead, camels race through the desert of Saudi Arabia with an unexpected American competitor. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Camel owners and breeders from different parts of the world gathered in Saudi Arabia to compete in a race through the desert. The event has a prize pool of over $21 million. Let's take a look.
In the middle of the arid desert of Al-Ulah in northwest Saudi Arabia, audiences gathered for the inaugural Camel Cup race. With a prize pool of over $21 million, the race is said to be the biggest and most expensive in the region. It was held between March 14th and March 17th. What we are seeing here is a big event. We've never seen anything like this before in our region or anywhere else. What I see is something that makes us proud. One unlikely participant is American record producer Swizz Beats, who is married to singer Alicia Keys. To be a part of this uh, with my team is amazing, not only being the first American team in the history of the sport and federation, but to be a part of history here in Alula uh, for the biggest cup, the biggest prize. Alula has gained prominence as part of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's push to transform Saudi Arabia's economy and society. The kingdom is banking on tourism as it tries to open up to the world and diversify its economy away from oil. Alpacas and sheep could make great grazing partners. British scientists say keeping them together might be a plus for both sheep farmers and the environment. Mixed herds of sheep and alpacas may become a common sight on the foot on the hillsides of West Wales, UK. Farms there are typically home to flocks of sheep. But why are the native Peruvian alpacas on board? Some farmers found that they're good at spotting predators like foxes and protect the sheep as a result. Meanwhile, scientists are studying how mixed grazing can benefit the environment. Uh, we're not looking at replacing the sheep with alpacas. We're looking how they can mix graze and how they can benefit each other. From research that we've done some time ago with the wild cousins of the alpacas, shows that, that family likely really enjoys eating this grass that everything else would rather avoid. And if we can control that grass, we can help restore some of our peatlands, and they're really, really important for capturing carbon. In Wales, government financial support for farmers is becoming tied to carbon reduction. This makes alpacas the right choice. Scientists believe the animals' eating habits will help the land. They eat invasive species like purple moorgrass, leaving better quality grass for the sheep. A crane in Florida getting locked in a standoff with an alligator. The staring contest ended without injury, except to the gator's pride. It happened Tuesday at a pond in the Gulf Coast city of Sarasota. A video circulating on social media captured, it all started when a young crocodile tried to exit the water and approach the shore. The crane flared its wings, chirped at the crocodile, and then backed away. The bird eventually stood firm and kept chirping as the crocodile moved closer. The two faced off for over 30 seconds. At the end, the crocodile lost the game and retreated back into the water. A stroke of luck, a treasure hunter has discovered a huge diamond in an Arkansas state park. David Anderson visited the Crater of Diamonds State Park in Pike County, where he discovered a 3.29-carat brown diamond. It's the largest diamond found there this year, but it isn't the first diamond he's found at the park. He says he has discovered more than 400 diamonds over the past 16 years, including 15 weighing over one carat. His largest may be a 6.19-carat white gem he discovered back in 2014. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.